This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by David Nora's novel, Slasher Crasher. It was the night he tried to go home, but he got caught in their drama. It's Halloween. Nick Roche, a towering figure of evil and stupidity, escapes from the upstate New York mental hospital he's been committed to for the past five years. Planning return to his childhood home where he brutally murdered his babysitter's boyfriend, his plans are halted when he crossed paths with an even more terrifying beast. Two high school friends with some serious beef. Caught in a battle of loyalty that's been brewing for ten years of their friendship, the two girls, Kathleen Strife and Betsy Coleman, force the feud into a savage showdown, pitting the escaped monster against each other. Who will survive this epic death match? And is it totally wrong to fall in love with the murderous lunatic who just tried to kill your ex-best friend with a machete? It's Mean Girls meets Halloween. Slasher Crasher is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and BlackRoseWriting.com. Also, uh, if you send a proof of purchase, this is pretty cool. If you send a proof of purchase, like a screenshot of, of your purchase confirmation to david.nora.junior, that's N-O-R-A dot J-R, at gmail.com, he's going to send you a free digital thank you postcard with original artwork uh, of your choice. Uh, you get either the final girl gone bad, the final bitch, or the final gay. You can find Slasher Crasher at Amazon.com barnesandnoble.com and blackrosewriting.com Coming October 17th from Pocket Universe Productions one of the most legendary names in horror comics EC is coming to audio EC Comics presents The Vault of Horror as a full cast audio drama adapting 24 stories from the Vault Keeper's Tome of Terrifying Tales Starring Kevin Graveau, creator of the Underworld movie franchise as The Vault Keeper, with guests Denise Poyer of MTV's Aeon Flux and Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater, and a 60-actor cast, The Vault of Horror features a soundscape that draws you right into the action like never before. Visit PocketUniverseProductions.com starting Monday, October 14th to learn more, boils and ghouls. That's EC Comics Presents The Vault of Horror at PocketUniverseProductions.com. Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to another episode of Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week we are talking time crime. I've got no other voice to say that. <laughs> it's kind of a mixture of like Judge Dredd and uh, and and the Eurythmics sex crimes, like t- time, 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 time crimes. We literally sing it at some point <laughs> later in the episode. Oh, do we? But we don't go into it, nor do we make reference to it. So, well, I'm glad we brought it up here. So there's just one instance in the episode where someone's just like, time crimes, and then we just move on like nothing right. happened. If you are unfamiliar with the Eurythmics 1984 soundtrack score that they did that did not get used in the movie, but is a 
dope album, you gotta check it out. Especially the song Sex Crimes. So weird. It's so... It, you know, the first time you hear it, you're like, wow, this is very... No, not the song. The oh. pull is weird. Oh, the, the pull, song the is, pull great. is weird. We've got other stuff to talk about, though, uh, while we're in the... The echoey, tinny RV recording studio. You should just say recording studio. Okay. The mobile so recording high studio. High quality, audio-tastic, can't hear the dog snoring. Nope. Can't hear the rain. Raining. The occasional squirrel <laughs> dropping something on the roof. <laughs> and the computer. Humming around. Yeah. It's fine. Kim, before we get into the time crimes, what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, Jonathan... I know you've been with me. No. Yeah. Um, we actually, I know I'm skipping uh, order, but we, as of recording, went to Burkittsville, Maryland today, and it was pretty fucking wonderful. I know, not, like, it wasn't a huge spooky thing, but I, uh, The Blair Witch Project is one of my favorite movies. You were beaming with excitement the way you would if I was just like, surprise, we're going to the Haunted Mansion at Disney World today. It was... So wonderful. Oh, it was gorgeous, yeah. The town was so cute. It's just like a little crossroads with a cemetery on a hill, and it was beautiful. They had, like, brick streets and a wonderful white church where the bells rang every half hour. And the man that was um, working the grounds... A new chair of some sort of society that's handling it, yeah. He came and he talked to us for, like, 25 minutes about the cemetery and the history and, like... Uh, how they're bringing and restoring and pre- preserving, like, all of these historical facts that they've kind of taken over. And it was fucking wonderful. It's pretty great that they just recognized, like, two weird horror people. Because I was dressed all in black. And I get <laughs> well, the... and I have green hair. So... And you've got green hair. we got a dog with us. And, yeah, he was just like, I'm going to go talk to these folks. And he was the nicest dude in the world. Yeah, and I'm sure they get, like, horror people coming up there all the time. So uh, it was great that he took the time to, like, oh, rain. Uh, it was great that he took the time to talk to us and just, like, let us explore the grounds and, and, uh, he showed us the oldest headstone there. He showed us one really old headstone that had been preserved because a bush grew around it. Yeah. <laughs> like, some really great stuff that we wouldn't have gotten if we hadn't have met him. Yeah, so, yeah, dude pointed out the very first person to be interred, I think would be the term, in that cemetery. Uh, buried, I guess. Uh, in 1831. Yeah. It's it was, crazy. It was so cool. And... I'd like bucket list thing, like something to check off. Like I'm so yeah. happy we went there. And uh, honestly, probably a great primer for the rest of our New England visit. Yeah, because we're headed to Sleepy Hollow and Salem this weekend. We are hitting up the Sleepy Hollow Film Festival and the Salem Horror Film Festival. Guys, both of these sound so amazing, and it is a bummer that they are overlapping because we do have to sort of pick and choose what we're visiting. And but... we're juggling both festivals, but we are hitting up both. We're oh yeah, going to both, and I am. So pumped. If you find yourself in the area, the Salem Horror Fest this weekend will have a live podcast recording of the Shockwaves podcast. Uh, John Waters is there tonight, I think, the the, the night that this podcast is coming out. Um, of course, they're also playing a whole shit ton of universal horror movies like uh, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, War of the Worlds. I've never seen War of the Worlds. That'd be cool. I'm, I'm excited to check that out. And Sleepy Hollow, of course. Oh, man. I'm very excited for this. So I honestly think that there is just like a deep love of Jeffrey Combs happening in this area because at Salem Horror Fest, we have a a reanimator screening uh, that's happening at the same time that Jeffrey Combs will be in Sleepy Hollow performing his one-man show as Edgar Allan Poe. 
He's also going to be included in a table reading with Daniel Gould and a whole bunch of other cool people that are reading the uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space script. That's going to be so cool. Yeah, and of course, you know, the Phantom, Phantem of, of the Paradise. Paradise. <laughs> Will we see that in the theater again? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, and that's playing in tandem with the Phantom of Winnipeg documentary, which we've already seen, but, you know, it doesn't matter. Oh, We're going really again. Oh, really doesn't matter, yeah. Um, so that's all happening this weekend. That's super exciting. Also, we are coming back from our... Fantastic weekend at Terror Town. Yeah, in Williamsburg, Ohio. It is a Halloween haunt that... I don't know, guys. I've been to some Halloween haunts, but this one's kind of fucking scary. Oh, so cool, though, because it's set in a uh, 19th century Wild West town, and it is a full town. There are stores to check out. There's bars and saloons and restaurants, and, like, it is such an awesome fucking space oh it's a, it's a super awesome place to just hang out uh when you're not doing anything super scary and like that's the genius part about it like when you show up you sign up for the haunt the trail uh the, and then you get a text message later on in the evening when it's your time to go into the trail so you don't have to wait in an, a line for an hour but yeah you get to play all these like super cool like zombie launcher games where you can like try and like get the brain in the zombie like a like a frog launcher game um but the the trail itself is crazy and they put too much effort into scaring you. I'm going to say that right now. Uh, and it probably helps that a lot of the special effects are designed by Michael Perry, who worked on Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. The fucking detail that this guy puts oh, on the little so shit cool. is insane. And they have, they even have a store where they're selling some of his handcrafted stuff. Oh, yeah. Stuff. You want to buy a tongue? A, a finger? Toe? <laughs> you need a toe? I can get you a toe. <laughs> it uh, is so crazy, the detail. And... There's fingernails! Like, like on the finger, the fingernail is a separate piece, and it's gross, and it's awesome. <laughs> but something else that's cool is, like, throughout the night happening in the town, they have a bunch of villagers who are just interacting with guests, so there's a sheriff that's that's firing blanks into the sky and arresting people. They have a fucking Gatling gun They there. have a Gatling gun. <laughs> it just destroyed everybody's ears. It's ear so drums. loud. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> and uh, they do, like, lynch mobs, and they had firing squads, and it was... It was kind of insane. It yeah. was pretty scary. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned it on the last episode, but there is a there is a bracelet you can get, which is essentially the I'm not scared of nothing bracelet. And uh, a lot of people had that bracelet. Yeah. And and I, I saw The hanging out of the bathrooms afterwards <laughs> was my favorite part of each night because they dump blood on you, they oh, get dirt yeah. on you, they bury you in a coffin, like shit goes yeah, down you get if you're buried alive. Oh. Yeah, you could at any time be dragged away and, like, fake murdered and covered in blood. Like, I saw some, I saw a group of girls who were cleaning themselves up after just being soaked. And uh, somebody was like, what are you doing over here? And then dragged them all back and soaked them again. Oh, my God. It was crazy. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, the next day, um, when we were setting up for our thing, we were hosting a bunch of screenings and fun stuff over at the cinema they have. And we had a party over at the main bar, which was so much fun. Shout out to Whitney and David for hanging out with us the whole weekend. Yeah. You guys are a blast. MVPs. We, had, we, had <laughs> we, such we a would fun... have been there by ourselves, standing around awkwardly. Especially in that Sunday crazy rainfall that <laughs> yeah. basically shut down the park. We had a karaoke night with all of the scare actors in their costumes still holding up their performances and it you have to check out the video on twitter of the scary clown doing tequila it is the funniest thing ever but like i was saying while we were setting up our stuff during the daytime we would try to go into some of the areas to check them out 
uh, while the sun was still up, and I wanted to go check out the jail, and somebody stopped me and was like, oh no, don't go in there, it's pretty sticky. <laughs> and I was like, ew. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of... I am not a red bracelet person, but it's oh, a really wow, fun idea, God. because if you want to up the level of your haunt, there's a way that you can be singled out. Of course, want to give a big shout-out to Blake M., Blake A., Ross, Samantha, Jeremy, Candace, and of course, David and Whitney. You you all know what you need to do. Uh, this is the seventh time we've had this conversation, of course. Look, uh, you know what? Let's, let's do all... Let's, let's do ourselves a favor this time. I want you to leave yourself a little note. Uh, like, pack a survival bag in the trunk of your car. It's not gonna make sense right now. But then, uh, also, at the outskirts of town, bury a single $20 bill. It's gonna be very important later on. You will find a cassette tape there of your own voice, and it's gonna make no sense, but you're gonna listen to it. It's gonna give you coordinates where you can find the rest of this podcast. (laughs) Or if you could just continue pressing play. I mean, you could do that if you want, but I mean, like, what was all of this effort that I put into, like, the next three weeks of my life for you to time travel to listen to this in a more interesting way? (laughs) Guys, vinyl is boring. We're already over it. The next level is time travel. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on Patreon. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, Shout out to all those new patrons, and thank you to those of you who've been supporting us for the long haul. Uh, We could not be doing this without you, and I say that from our mobile RV where we are covering film festivals and stuff. We really could not be doing this without you. So if you want to check out our Patreon page, head to patreon.com slash nightmareonfilmstreet. If you're already a patron, head over there and check out all of the bonus content that you might not have caught up on. There's a bonus mini game there for you right now. Uh, and I just want to say, Kim uh, is very liberal with her opinions of, si- of what is science and what isn't science. <laughs> all right. You want to talk about some time-traveling teenagers? I do want to talk about some time-traveling teenagers. Some, like, real brats that do not deserve the power they have? I don't think they're... Well, we'll talk about it. (laughs) Let's get into it. Let's talk about Donnie Darko. It was as though this plan had been with him all his life, pondered through the seasons. Now, in his 15th year, crystallized with the pain of puberty. So, why'd you move here? My mom had to get a restraining order against my stepdad. He has emotional problems. Oh, I have those too. What kind of emotional problems does your dad have? I met a new friend. Real or imaginary? Your cup, Tony. Imaginary. I'm gonna tell you a little story today about a young man whose life was completely destroyed by these instruments of fear. I haven't seen stuff. Donnie is experiencing what is commonly called a daylight hallucination. I have to obey him. He saved my life. Have you ever seen a portal? Has he ever told you about his friend Frank, the giant bunny rabbit? The what? Every living thing follows along set path, and... If you could see your path or channel, then you could see into the future, right? I'm not going to be able to continue this conversation. Don't worry. You got away with it. What is going to happen? I only have a few days left before they catch me. 
when's this gonna stop? You should already know that. So Donnie Darko from 2001. 2001. 2001. Currently sitting at an 8 out of 10 on IMDb, a 3.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd, 87% Rotten Tomatoes rating, and a 71 Metacritic rating. <laughs> it's like a 2 with a 7 stitch in it. It's a rating that's up for interpretation. Kind of like this film. I wonder how this movie did on the festival circuit. This seems like it was a festival movie, right? Definitely. Yeah. 1,000%. A festival movie that had a lot of backing behind it. From what I understand, this movie was... I should probably preface up front. I I have seen this movie a lot. Yeah, so this is John's teenaged movie of choice. Yeah. This was his pre-Fight Club Fight Club. Oh, man. Once once Fight Club came... (laughs) Yeah, Fight Club and Donnie Darko were probably the two of the movies that were on repeat the most while I was in high school. Uh, I would just put them on while I played guitar or went to bed or felt like Thought crying. feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those were, yeah, those were just, the, those and probably Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Anyway, I've seen this movie a lot. I've seen this movie a lot. I've watched every special feature there is. Oh my. I own a director's cut that you should never watch. Oh god. That's what we watched first. Oh man. Uh, and then I found that we had a regular DVD of just the regular cut. Very and upset so I, when I found that. Yeah, so I rewatched it. Oh boy. Because this podcast would have been way different if I had only seen that director's cut. I want to say this right now. If the director's cut is the only version you've seen, or you're about to watch the director's cut, because, oh, I've never seen it. Let's see how it is. Don't. Don't. <laughs> don't watch it. From somebody who loves this movie and has seen it a lot, do not watch the director's cut. The, the, the director's cut is the reason that I probably haven't seen this movie in so long, because I thought that that director's cut that comes in a oh, cool tin case and got a nice little slip cover. It was, I thought it was the only version we owned, and... For a long time, it was the only version I watched, and it has too much shit in it, guys. It ruins this movie. Yeah. Ruins it. You know, to be fair, as somebody who is more of a Donnie Darko layman, it does explain more of the mythology behind the film, but... Yeah, but it also explains Richard Kelly's water fetish. I don't know what it is. This guy's obsessed with water. See, I think it's more of like a Windows loading screen than anything. It has... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or like the screensaver. There's just a lot. The I'm almost positive there's a bunch of water stuff in Southland Tales and in that movie The Box with Cameron Diaz where they're like, oh, would you press a button to kill somebody? I'm almost positive there's a whole section in the third act where... Her husband's got to, like, go to this weird ethereal world, and it's all, like, water, but you can breathe in it and walk through it. And it's like, man, what's going on with the water? <laughs> Can't get behind it. Okay, so Donnie Darko. Yeah. Um, Gonna be totally honest. Probably saw it around the same time, because it definitely came out. When was it? Two... 2001. 2001. Okay, so how old would we have been? Yeah, Um, I think I saw it, like, rental-wise, and I didn't really enjoy it. Probably okay. because I didn't really get it. Sure. And I went into it to see a horror film, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yep. And I didn't really revisit it much. We may have watched it together uh, in high school-ish times, but it wasn't until this recent rewatching that I've kind of given the film a chance, and I oh, cool. I enjoyed it. I want to hear your theories on it, because I don't know if I get it 100%, mm. but... Yeah, I think it's uh, I, I think it's all there. I mean, I'm glad you I'm glad you rewatched it. I'm glad you gave it another chance. Um, I don't. I I also went into 
this movie expecting it to be just kind of a straight horror movie like a psychological horror oh this kid Donnie's weird and he's maybe hurting some people in his high school and then it just it takes such a weird turn I remember renting this putting it on and expecting him to like kill people in his sleep and they set you up for that in the beginning he wakes up in the middle of the road he laughs and then he just like rides his bike home but then that night when he sees Frank for the first time Frank's like the world's gonna end in 28 days. It's like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) I was not expecting where this movie went, and it takes some strange turns. Yeah, so I guess we should kind of talk about the film uh, as linearly as possible, like how it's presented in the film, because um, what you, it's, it's cyclical in that, like, what you learn at the end affects what you see at the beginning, but you're kind of being handed cards of things throughout the film like each vignette or scene or revelation of the character reveals more about the overall story yeah but the the horror and the ambience comes from you not really knowing how those pieces fit together or what anything means so like when you're looking at everything at face value like when you're looking at the film only 30 minutes in you have all these cards that make no sense you're Mm -hmm. like okay so what is frank and what is this and what are these and why are we seeing um water orbs coming out of people's chests and like why is frank telling me to flood the school like yeah it's very it's very confusing so Film starts yep. with Donnie not in his bed. He wakes up in the middle of fucking nowhere, rides back home. Yeah. I do I do think the chuckle that he has is, is, is a great little touch for his character. Because, like, otherwise it's just a weird opening. It is kind of a weird opening on its own. But, like, when, you, when, when you've rewatched the movie, I think it's great. Like, he, he thinks it's funny that he's not in his bed. He doesn't remember getting up and going anywhere, but it's just something that happens. Yeah, and every time you kind of see him in the throes of whatever his mental condition is or whatever they've they've kind of treated it as, like if they say this, they they determined he's like schizophrenic or something, I'm I'm pretty sure that in spite of all of the paranormal things that are happening or the supernatural things that are happening in this movie, Donnie does have some kind of mental condition. Yeah. Because you see him like regress every time he's in the throes of it. Like he almost gets very childlike yeah. and like when he does the head thing where he tilts his head down and he's looking up he's the most intimidating eight-year-old i've ever seen yeah yeah and like seeing a kid with a knife is kind of in in some ways scarier than seeing a young adult with a knife um regardless of whether or not they have some sort of mental illness but even how he talks to frank and especially his therapist mm-hmm. um he, he sounds very young yeah it happens because yeah like he's i don't know like it 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 seems like maybe he's just supposed to be afraid but you're right he is childlike when he is in that state Mm -hmm. um especially when he talks to frank i don't know if so frank frank definitely first appears to him that second night because when he talks to his therapist he says i made a new friend his name's frank he's a bunny rabbit (laughs) which i'm sure is great to hear when you're a therapist like oh Oh, great Oh, good. <laughs> but it's funny, too, that when he says, I made a new friend the other day, she asks him immediately, real or imaginary? Like, it's not uncommon for him to say that he has an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. So we are dealing with something that he's already had some sort of experience with. And it's hard to say whether or not his mental illness is what gives him the ability to 
sort of tap into this. Yeah, like to see behind the curtain or if seeing behind the curtain is just something that he has in him and it's just being interpreted by us normal people as mental illness. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the film, you can kind of see that everybody's affected by this. Like that's that's the moment of the film that proves that it isn't just Donnie, which we'll get into, which we'll get into. Yeah. So Frank wakes him up in the middle of the night and gets him to come outside and he tells him that the world is going to end in 28 days and however many minutes and seconds, uh, which he writes on his arm and then wakes up in a, in a golf course. And while he's gone, there is a huge catastrophe at home. A, the engine from a plane just falls out of the sky, crashes into the house directly over his bed. And because he happens to have this sleepwalking condition... He wasn't there in the house when it happened, and he is spared. He's He doesn't die, is essentially what happens. So, mm-hmm. like, no harm, no foul, almost. You know, the, the airline has no idea where this, this propeller came from. The serial number on it cannot be traced back to a plane. There are no planes that were flying over that area that have a missing jet engine. Like, they, they cannot explain it. They are very, they are paying some hush money and some quick fix-up-your-house money. Yeah, which is... Probably likely pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, there is there is a great moment in the earlier half of this movie where the family is in a motel and mom and dad are in their own room. Oh my just, god, that's my favorite scene of the whole movie. It is the best scene of the whole movie, and I'm telling you, the director's cut ruins it. The director's cut takes the director's cut takes so many scenes of this movie that are that are just cut to like within an inch of their life, and for good reason, and extends them out way too much. When mom and dad are laying in bed and he's he's saying, do you remember that kid from school died on his way to the prom? People said he was doomed. He's like, yeah, I do remember that. He goes, do you think do you think people say the same thing about Donnie? It is so great. See, and that's such an interesting kind of like just a statement for a movie that you know is going to touch on time travel and stuff. Because things are cyclical, right? Well, and just things that are almost fated to happen. Yeah. Because for time travel to exist, time must be predetermined. And actions must be predetermined. Yeah, and everybody around this kid had an idea that maybe he's not going to make it. So yeah, it's like, almost or like, he lived his life like he was a doomed man. Like, yeah. Like, everybody kind of knew, like, okay, you are, you're going to die young. And then when he did actually die, it didn't really um, surprise anyone. Yeah, everybody knew and everybody was in some sort of way all working toward that end. Like, it's, it was fated to happen, we all knew it was going to happen, and it's almost as though all of our actions are all in service of getting him to where he needs to be, which just happens to be death. Yeah. And that is very much this movie, because all of the players in the film, all of the pieces of this story, are gears in, like, a mechanism that is just trying to get Donnie to the finish line. Yeah, and it's so early in the film, the parents recognize that that weird um, incidental jet engine falling on Donnie's bed was, like, supposed to be his end because they're like, Donnie was spared. Mm. And um, that's crazy. Yeah. And the- it's such a dark moment, like, as parents to be like, this was the moment our son was supposed to have died. What's interesting, too, is how they react when he shows up in the morning. Like, they should all be like, oh my god, you're here. And, like, by this time, they, they definitely know he wasn't in his bed. Mm-hmm. So they've probably had, like, oh my time god. Time to process. Yeah, like, they've probably already cried it out and then told that everything's okay and now they can be relieved. But you would expect them to be 
more relieved. Yeah, because when they see him, they're like, uh, the little sister's just like, it fell in your room. Yeah, you almost <laughs> died. Like, oh, Donnie's here, good. Which also just goes to show how long he's been sleepwalking, because nobody's scared when he shows up in the morning, even before that, on his bike. Like, oh, Donnie's home, must have had a late night, eh, kid? Like, they all know that he sleepwalks. They all know that he, like, takes his bike out and goes sleepwalking. Mm -hmm. It's just not out of the ordinary to them, which is crazy. But Mom really doesn't know what he's up to, because... Oh, yeah, she's troubled by it. She really early on asks him like if he's toilet papered somebody's house or whatever or whatever it is and um i mean they don't have a really great relationship at the beginning but it, it, that seems very teenage angsty a little bit like oh take my medication rah, 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 rah. yeah i, I, I think mom is maybe also just holding on to hope that there's nothing that, that what's wrong with her son is something that she can fix because if it is a mental illness, there isn't anything she can do. And mm-hmm. she breaks down a little bit, too, when she's talking to the therapist. And the therapist wants to increase his medication. And That's she, such a good parenty scene. It is really good. Because she she doesn't want to do it. She knows that... But she knows she has to. And, like, through well, tears... Well, it's out of her level of expertise. Like, yes. if you recommend that he needs more medication, then that's what we're going to try. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, she, she's just holding back a flood of tears while she's saying it. It's great. You want to talk about that therapist? Uh, yeah. Well, she is kind of threaded throughout the whole movie. To be fair, I don't know how helpful she is. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, who that therapist is. Oh, yeah. No, it's totally the actress from um, Stepford Wives, which I only realized on this watching, and it was bugging me the whole movie. And Why I was, is she so goddamn familiar? Yeah, I was like, the eyes. It's in the eyes. And the, like, the, the calm, like, voice... It's totally her. It's a thousand percent her. I looked it up on IMDb. Oh, I love. I I'm so, I was very happy. Unfortunately, I don't love her character though because I'm just like this. This just makes me hate therapy. Oh, you don't like Doctor Thurman? What's wrong with Doctor Thurman? I don't know. I just don't think she's very helpful. Nah, she's all right. And like, I don't know if the scenes are all that revealing, for the most part. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I think we could have done without them too. I think they're okay. I think it goes to show that like people are. Uh, trying to help Donnie in, in any way that they can, but they can't. But it just kind of, like, leads down some weird uh, hypnotizing scenes where he starts taking his pants off. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I, th- I think it's so just at the very climax, like, there's this outside party who represents um, it just being mental illness who knows something is off and something is oh, wrong. Oh, good point, sure. Because so. she she's trying to get a hold of the parents. She knows that, like, everything's coming to a head. She doesn't really know what, but she has doubt, I think, and that's what the whole arc of the therapist meetings, I think, have to do, or, or why they're in the film, because um, she, you can tell very much at the beginning she thinks it's some kind of, like, schizophrenia or something. I don't know, though, because she even says that, she tells him, you can stop taking your pills, they're placebos. Like, I think she either was, you know, she tries using those initially to find out if it's just him faking or not, but eventually, by the end of the movie, she realizes that this is something that she can't fix. Like, she doesn't know what it is, but it's something beyond her control. It's out of everyone's control. There's there's nothing I can do to fix this kid. He's actually on another level. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it's I think the problem is beyond mental illness, which is interesting for a therapist uh, to say, because... I don't know that like that one would ever stop believing that that this is a mental illness. Yeah. Like, wh- when does she say, "Oh, this is the the forces of God at play" or something? Right? Like, that's that's a little strange. But I do think eventually she is 
there to tell us as an audience that this isn't mental illness at all. Mm-hmm. So after Donnie is spared, he continues to see Frank the bunny, who tells him to do some like increasingly, increasingly like delinquent e things. Yeah, he floods the school and. He eventually he breaks into Jim Cunningham, who's like the local, what would you call, inspirational leader? Yeah, he's some sort of self-help guru. Yeah, like almost cult leader. (laughs) Yeah, it's odd that he has any sort of place in in the movie. I think it's just that he happens to live in the area and is, you know, of the society that that this that sends their kids to this school. Well, and I think he he represents the the counter to um time travel and fate and god mm-hmm. because his whole point is that you you are the Oh, you're in control. Um, yeah, you you control your own destiny and it's how you interpret um what happens to you is what is how your future will look like if something bad happens you have to turn it around by how you act with it and that's what will change your future and it's not like these actions equal these reactions it's like these actions plus your take equals reactions which is completely counter to what time travel would require yeah like the 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 world that donnie is 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 in right now is basically saying like everything is beyond your control but you are almost not necessarily a slave to it but you are a participant in it like there are bigger things at play and you have a place inside that and you need to you need to play out your role um you need to fulfill your duties in this larger tapestry uh, and it's interesting that part of that is taking him down. But you're right, like that—that that is definitely maybe why he has such a freak out over his program and when he's there to present and, and talk to everybody. But the biggest, something that really pisses me off about this movie, and I definitely don't think I saw it when I was watching this as a teenager, is how many times we try and make Donnie seem like the smartest kid in the room. It's annoying. It's really annoying. Like the... Oh, what? You guys have never thought about Smurfs and how like, wow, Smurfs don't have dicks and like you don't know like everything about the Smurfs and like his friends like Game of Donnie, why you gotta be so smart on us? Like, and then the like, oh, there there are a larger uh, range of emotions than just love and fear. You cannot simplify life down to just two core stupid emotions. Yeah, but that's that. I think that brings in the teenage angst angle and also shows that he, even though we the majority of this film we see him almost infantile and and um immature and uh underdeveloped he isn't mentally that's just a regression like i think you need to see him being book smart to be able to identify those moments where he's talking like a child as regression okay sure i just don't know that that's a really good point but i don't i i think the movie is really trying to present him as the smartest kid in the room and i don't see him as being any smarter than a regular teenager (laughs) I don't think so either, and I don't see him that way because um, all teenagers are headstrong, and so he just comes off as kind of like a cocky dick, which is every teenager who knows the right answer. That's a good point. Really good point. Which is where the teenage angst bit comes in, and you can't do a teenage movie without the angst. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Sure you may. What role does Charita, I think her name uh, play in the movie the, the the you know the quiet girl the mousy girl who I shouldn't say mousy the, the quiet girl who who really likes Donnie that everybody picks on I'm really sad you asked me this question because I was gonna ask you okay because I have no <laughs> fucking idea at all I, ha- I don't even have a theory I have no idea 
It seems like she has a very important role in the movie. I know, and I have no idea what it is. My only thought is that at the very end of the film, and then we're jumping ahead, when everybody kind of has a little reaction shot after um, the final incident goes down, (laughs) Charita is the only one who smiles. Because I think she remembers that moment where Donnie comes up to her in the hallway and says, everything is going to be okay for you. You think she and remembers in the, that? in the moment, she's very scared. And she's like, ah, leave me alone. Because everybody teases her and makes fun of her. And I think that's just her first reaction to anything. But, yeah. You don't think maybe she's just thinking about Donnie? Like, you don't, you don't think that that was the night that she wrote Donnie Darko on Maybe, her but I think... Maybe the reason why she likes Donnie is because in that time loop, he was nice to her. Like, maybe she likes him because you see how it's like a an after... Because with time travel and us going back to the beginning, everything that happened also happened and didn't. So, like, I think she likes him because he was nice to her in I, that one instance. I don't think you're wrong. I think you're right. In that, that final sequence, we do watch a bunch of people who seem to have some sort of Effect. raw understanding yeah. of what happened. Because, um... I don't think Drew Barrymore is like awake at night, which she should be the one. I think it's the the, the science teacher. I think that that's where we see that like they're in a relationship, mm-hmm. and but he's the one that's up, uh, even though she has more of a role in the movie. Uh, and then in, in Frank, you can see Frank having this like, oh my god, and like he's like touching his eye where he got shot. It's almost like they all had a dream collectively. And yeah, you may yeah you're right because like I guess he was nice to her. It seems like he was always kind of nice to her. It, at the very least, he was like the one person who wasn't mean to her. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really cared too much about her at the beginning of the movie, but he did tell his friends to stop picking on her. Yeah, she's probably about as far as as, as anybody else would have gone, I guess. Um, yeah. So I have a very loose idea. Um, not about her entirely, but there does also seem to be some sort of juxtaposition between like art and understanding or just like art and show um charita is probably a good example of that i think because she presents an artistic dance the autumn angel the autumn angel (laughs) yeah she's got leaves she's got great music she's given it her fucking all right and uh like there there is definitely emotion to what she's doing and people just kind of like politely clap or tell her to get off stage right like they really dismiss her and i I, we really focus on her having a moment outside like people don't understand me and they don't appreciate anything Mm -hmm. and what do they go fucking wild for sparkle motion some dumb kids and reflective leotards leotards yeah i have no idea what they're called unitards it's a one-piece thing no say leotard (laughs) girls don't wear unitards (laughs) is a unitard a thing uh i think that's what wrestlers wear okay like the the jockey that has like arm straps (laughs) oh like the one arm strap anyway um (laughs) yeah andre the giant outfit (laughs) yeah and all they're doing is just some stupid dance to a duran duran song but everybody goes wild for it nobody likes the opera they just want immediate instant gratification. They don't want to think too deeply about anything, which I think is also probably like the same wave that Donnie's riding, right? He hates that people think that uh, that the, that life can be summed up into just love and fear. He hates that people won't look past just like uh, entertainment. I think that's po- probably also part of like what the Smurfs argument is about. Like he's thinking about the the ramifications of the Smurf world, whereas his dumb buddies are like, "Yo, isn't Smurfette hot?" Mm-hmm. 
It's a loose idea. No, and, I, I and see and what also, you're it, saying. Sorry, uh, and, and and also like when Drew Barrymore gets fired, which is pretty soon after that talent show, I think um, he's saying that we have to let you go. He's not giving her a good reason, and she says, "You have no idea what it's like to talk with these kids. We are losing them to apathy. They don't care." And she's having this sort of breakdown that like they're basically letting go of her because she's teaching art. She's not teaching value like she's not teaching them things that are going to be useful in real life despite the fact that she genuinely is uh and while she's sort of like dealing with that the principal who just fired her callously is like i've got great news everybody sparkle motion's gonna be on television and everybody's going wild for it um and also, like, in that same moment, we're dealing with the coach who's celebrating the fact that the kids are going to be on TV. And she's met with the deeper, wider understanding that the uh, the person that she's sort of used to ground her entire life, Jim Cunningham, is actually a pedophile, right? Like, he's, there's, I don't know, there, there, there seems to be some juxtaposition between things you take at face value and things that are happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily presented in the best way. I think this movie is maybe trying to say a lot, maybe too much with what it's trying to do because I've never really gotten the Charita storyline or even the Drew Barrymore storyline really. Like I think they, they seem like they are much bigger things and more important to the movie than it f- they, they first appear, but I don't know that they fully flush out. Yeah. That, even in the director's cut. <laughs> okay, so at least plot wise, um before we get into like final themes and stuff, let's let let's sum up what happened. I'm so sorry, yeah. Uh, um so Frank gets Donnie to do some increasingly deviant things and they are all kind of getting Donnie to lead himself to this final catastrophe. Yeah, everybody is working toward Donnie reaching like his role. But even Frank, like even Frank convincing Donnie to flood the school and burn down um, Jim Cunningham's house, all these things are in service of Frank's own end and Donnie's own end and Gretchen's own end. Yeah, because in order for the ending to happen... His parents can't be there. So if he exposes Jim Cunningham and the coach can't go because she's going to stay and trying to defend him, then his mother has to take his sister to the Sparkle Motion TV trip, which puts her on the plane where things go down. So, like, all of that. All well, and of also that makes parents sense. being gone. They have the Halloween party, which yeah. Frank attends. There's not yeah, enough beer. So Frank, Frank goes leaves. to get more beer. And then... The cellar door from Drew Barrymore being fired. That is fired. the loosest goddamn oh, thing whatever. in this whole movie. Oh, there's <laughs> some poet. She doesn't reference him. She would know who <laughs> said, the, of all the combinations of all the words and all the languages, the most beautiful and haunting is cellar door. Fuck off, lady. <laughs> like, what? What? Uh... Yeah, but maybe that in itself is a memory of the time loop. Like maybe I, I know maybe it's that's all the, mo- the the word that she remembered when she woke up was cellar door. Maybe maybe that's yeah, that's why because she, she read the news of what happened that night, and that's the, the the words that most haunted her. How though? Time loop. How would a journalist going to that scene where somebody got run over and shot say, "Oh, then then right beside I don't know, was John. a cellar door." Shut up. <laughs> But yes, I see I see what you're getting at. Like everything is as simple as it is and mysterious maybe as it first appears is all there 
for Donnie, which honestly is is really interesting because he is essentially in a manic episode at this point, and it feels as though the world is vibrating and he is getting messages and signals from every corner, and he's getting uh, like justification and validation from everything that he sees. Like, oh my god, my whole life has been leading to this moment, which could just, at, at that point, could still just as easily be some crazy kid having an episode. Mm-hmm. And so the final incident is we never even talked about grandma death so uh grandma death is this kooky old lady who lives at the corner of town and donnie finds out via one of his science his science teacher yeah that she actually went kooky with time travel and she wrote a time travel book so she kind of plays into the story somehow because at the very beginning she whispers in donnie's ear oh yeah and everything that lives dies alone Every living creature dies alone. Yeah, and it just so happens that where uh, the final instant goes down is at her house, because why have they gone there? Him and Gretchen? Oh, because they're trying to intercept Frank, right? Because they want to save Frank, because they know... I don't think he necessarily knows that he's going to meet Frank. I think the problem, he just, he knows that Grandma Death has something to do with it, and then they need to go see her. Like, all signs are pointing toward Grandma Death. Like, he needs to talk to her, he he knows the world is about to end, and she seems to be the one person who understands everything that he's going through. All of the, everything that she's written in the philosophy of time travel is tapping into what he's seeing, mm-hmm. and time is running out. He knows that the world is going to end very shortly, we have to go talk to Grandma Death, but he doesn't realize that that's where everything goes down. Um... They get there in enough time to see that the bullies are trying to rob her. They're trying to break into her house because some people seem to think that she's worth millions of dollars but lives in squalor. Um, And while they're being attacked, his girlfriend gets uh, thrown into the middle of the road where Frank, who's just racing by not paying attention in a sports car, runs her over. This is where we first see him as not a vision of Donnie's psychopathy or something, right? Like... He's just a regular teenage kid who gets out of the car and's just like, what the fuck were you doing in the middle of the road? But he's got his bunny outfit, so we know it's him. And Donnie, having found the gun, previously led to him by just the time-traveling universe, shoots Frank in the eye. Yeah. Which kind of, like, closes most things, I think, right? Like, at that point, all he he has left to do is go back in time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He takes his dead girl. It's done here. Yeah. He puts his dead girlfriend in the car, he drives around with her until sunrise, and then laughs until he's back in his bed. Um, simultaneously, at the same time, like uh, the, the, t- the TV show went really well for Sparkle Motion, and Mom has decided that she is going to be coming home on the red eye. They should be landing around 8.30 in the morning. Um, and as they're flying into Los Angeles, they hit some crazy turbulence because one of their jet propellers fell off. Uh, And that's what goes down into the wormhole and goes into the past and crashes into Donnie's house. I'm still unsure about the time travel-y bit because (laughs) (laughs) Donnie says to his therapist, I have the power to create a time travel machine. (laughs) And and, and then there's some some discussion with his science teacher about like, well, I mean, theoretically, to to build a time travel machine, you need a portal and you need a vessel. And the vessel could be any metallic object. Is the, the jet the, I think the plane is the vessel. So how does he know? Like, Because when he goes back in time, he remembers everything. He's laughing. He knows where he's supposed to be. He understands, oh my god, I just time traveled, and I'm in, I'm, I'm in my bed. Like, don't you think the car... I always thought maybe the car that he was driving when he went to where the portal was sort of being created... I don't know, John. <laughs> that the car was the time travel thing. 
think you're right. Though. I think the jet engine is the time travel device, which is also the object that kicks off the portal. So what I think, though, is the time traveling doesn't occur at the end of the movie. It occurs at the beginning of the movie because... So this is from the director's cut, which unfortunately yeah, yeah. kind of answered some things. But it was something about a, once a time loop is created, it kind of does this rippling effect until it's able to close itself. Yeah. So it's like the world is trying to right itself by getting by correcting where the time traveling occurred. Because otherwise the world will end. And so, exactly. So the, the, the whole movie is in service of getting Donnie back on track to correct his own time traveling like donnie is incorrect he is a fault in the universe he was supposed to die exactly and so he needs to um get himself back to um the beginning of the film yeah he needs to close the loop and that's not necessarily time travel i think at that point that's just the universe looking to like um smoosh out a bubble in the fabric yeah so it's it's almost like your multi-universe theory your multiverse theory where you've got two different universes and they've sort of touched they've collided at one point and in one donnie is supposed to die but he doesn't he stays alive in both just sort of like your your quarks and your quantum mechanics at work i guess like (laughs) affect one decision here is affecting something that's happening in another realm which it shouldn't uh, but it is um and let's get quantum quantum (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah i don't know um it's a good movie i don't think it answers all the questions that it it asks Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily think it explains everything it's supposed to i'm sure and 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 here's here's the thing i think the director's cut does it does an okay job of trying to give you more of those answers and show things to you maybe a little clearer it's definitely more understandable on a first watch but it's too many answers yeah i think you're supposed to have questions at the end of the movie so my only thought though is that the director's cut is supposed to be for a larger audience. Mm. It alienates less of its audience by putting more on the table, yeah. which as as uh, it's slower and honestly a little bit more boring because the yeah. the other cut is like 20 25 minutes shorter and it's it's a lot tighter and even like scenes that don't really have a lot of time travel or even tighter like it's yeah, just like, edited more efficiently exactly yeah it's, it's 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 got some better editing but also there are scenes where we have close-ups on just donnie's eyeball which look great but then we shouldn't also see like ms dos like <laughs> writing on them like he's been given a code and he's been given information and then there's a flash of a bunny and then there's flash of a fire and, and then water oh <laughs> the water uh so two things that i want to talk about still before before we wrap um I really like Grandma Death, and I want to kind of talk about how she plays into it, because what she says to Donnie at the beginning gives the the whole... So, my theory is that, yes, the universe is trying to correct itself and revert back to where the time blip occurred. Oh, definitely. But I think it's also on kind of like a philosophical point that almost in a spiritual sense, the universe couldn't let donnie die without coming to terms with his own death because Mm. it was like a freak accident so like maybe everybody that dies in a freak accident is given almost like this um grace period where they still get to exist in some kind of tangent universe where they can kind of come to terms with their own death like being comfortable with dying alone does that mean that his his girlfriend who kind of dies very quickly without Okay, well, maybe not, because she sees her death coming. Like, she sees that there's a car driving toward her, 
But Donnie was asleep, and a jet engine fell through his roof. Well, so she, but she doesn't actually die, though, because this is just a temporary tangent universe. Okay. And so... So it's like you're building a website, and this is like the mirrored version, where <laughs> exactly. you're doing all your this data testing. This is the testing. staging site. This is yeah. a staging universe. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just in service of Donnie, and... and Donnie can recognize that all of these lives are affected by him dying in this moment, in that uh, lives are spared, careers are spared, um, all of these things. Like, everybody's lives are affected. His his um, his teacher gets to continue her job, where she has, like, the love of her life there, and his girlfriend, who he, he never meets, doesn't get hit by a car, and Frank doesn't get shot in the head, and, like, there's... There's so many things that would happen if Donnie continued. Yeah. yeah okay, you're right. Because, uh, because yeah, Drew Barrymore definitely gets fired because she teaches, was it Graham Greens, The Destroyers? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is also a, a good thesis for this movie where, like, even destruction is a form of creation. Um, like, you know, that in tandem with, with uh, Grandma Death's uh, Every Creature Dying Alone thing is, is pretty good. But I think his death is very interesting because it, it sort of plays into that teen angsty thing where, like, oh everybody'd be happier or the world would be a better place if I wasn't in it. Uh, I'm sure we've heard people say that. Um, and it's not true. It's never true. And we see that played out at the end of the movie where he has died and his family is grieving and they are all having like the worst day of but their I lives. I think it is true. The world is a better uh, place without I him. don't know. I don't know because Jim Cunningham continues to be a monster yeah, but without he's, Donnie. He's internally tortured I think he's internally tortured before Donnie burns his house down like I think shame is a big part of what he knows what he's doing is wrong just because he cries after he does something horrible doesn't mean that he really is gonna ever stop and, he, and but also like his biggest supporter he's now lost because you, you see um what's her name when she wakes up like she knows she's been like living a lie or you, believing a lie you you think that's the case yes think, uh, i do oh, but i want to get back and... to my point because okay we're, I'm, so, we're, I'm so sorry i'm so sorry we're deviating too far so um yeah so what i believe is that there's also the spiritual angle in that that yes i think the universe is trying to correct itself but also um there's a lot of attention to donnie's belief in either god or being comfortable with death. Like, he talks to his therapist a lot about how, like, I don't want to die alone, and I don't want to be alone. But by, but, but every the, living creature dies alone. But at the very end of the movie, he's laughing. Yeah. And, he, it, and I, I think he, it's because he was given this extra time to process or to understand that everything happens for a reason and to die with, with the comfort knowing that everything is as it should be. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, romantic and bleak and kind of wonderful. But um, Grandma Death, how she plays into it, her loop is odd because I don't know if she's actually ever experienced time travel up until this point where she's a senior mm. because I think she's waiting for that letter from Donnie. Oh, yeah. And she doesn't know when it's going to come, but she's eternally looking for it because it's almost like she is aware of, of that this blip is, is bound to happen um, in her lifetime and yeah. she's just waiting for it to occur. Yeah. And, like, we, we constantly see people bumping into each other that shouldn't necessarily be related. She's always in the road, which you know, the coach almost hits her with the car. His dad almost hits her with the car. Um, and, yeah, he wouldn't have written that letter. He wouldn't have gone to go see her if she wasn't constantly checking her mailbox. He writes that letter because she's expecting a letter. Yeah, and so it's, like, her not knowing when she plays into um, a time loop is also in service of creating that time loop, which is fucking interesting. Yeah. So in the alternate universe, 
Do you think his mom and his daughter die? His mom and his sister die? In that alternate universe, do you think his mom and his sister die? I don't think engines or planes can fly without engines. I'm pretty sure they can. Like, uh, no, it's, uh, it's not like the plane. Uh, okay, okay, um, okay. Hey, 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 hey. Your plane's got like... Just because only one engine went in the portal doesn't mean that plane wasn't fucked more seriously. That's true. <laughs> I, I will say, without... Your plane can go... Your plane can still fly with one engine. They're not gonna go all the way from, like, St. Louis to Cincinnati. I actually don't know how far that is. That might just be, like, across the street. Um, they're not gonna... They're not gonna continue their trip. They're gonna make an emergency landing, but they can still do that. So don't be scared if, you know, a bird flies into one of your engines. It it happens. Sometimes engines, like, just break down, and then they continue with three instead of four, and they go fine. Uh, you just never hear about it. But you're right. There is a lot of, like, pressure loss inside that cabin. Like, <laughs> oh my god, there's wind all of a sudden. They're definitely dead. They a thousand percent die. Yeah, it's... I don't know. So it's almost like his death saves his, his his sister and his mom as well. Although, that they wouldn't need that time travel machine if, if Donnie didn't fuck it up in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's all your fault, Donnie. Yeah, that's that's the thing about time travel is, is like, it's, it's hard to justify what's justify... Or, like, what's in service of something else because it's a loop. So, like, everything is creating everything else and nothing would exist if the loop didn't exist like it's it's impossible it's, it's a paradox yeah yeah it creates it's, its, own paradox. it's just like you know that square that or like those those like impossible drawings where they they loop Im- improperly or there's like stairs that go up to go down to go up. that's oh, time travel and, okay. like <laughs> yeah so what would do you have anything else you want to talk about in this movie no it's just the i just wanted to talk talk about the spiritual aspect because i think I think that's just really interesting that that Donnie has to be comfortable with his own death. And I think there's something there. Like, maybe that is what the film is posing, what God is, is just, um, like, the world is cruel and unforgiving. But, like, Jim Cunningham believes it's it's all how you look at things. Mm. Like, in the end, Jim Cunningham kind of represents, like... Um, how God would play into the story. It's a simplified version of, of dealing with bigger problems. Like you either got to live with love or live with fear. Yeah. And like Donnie died with love. Yeah. <laughs> he, he'd been living with fear and it's what created this ripple universe. <laughs> Man, that religion in Jim Cunningham starting to make sense. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm glad I, I gave this film some like attention this time because it's really I, good. I never really enjoyed it before, and I think it's just because I went into it, like, as a teenager being like, woo, we're getting no horror movies, it's gonna be great. Yeah, no, it's not that at all. Not it really. Is, no. no. And I, I went in the same way, and I think- Frank of, is terrifying. Frank is creepy. Yeah, Frank always works. Frank is maybe a little creepier than he should be, but <laughs> whatever. He's a voice from another world. Like, he should sound like that. It's weird. It's crazy. He, he's also dead. Yeah. And it's weird how, like, I have no idea how Frank kind of- plays into the film and what his purpose is it whether he's a manifestation of the universe because donnie has would donnie have decided to go back and die in his own bed if he didn't watch his girlfriend die also one thing that kind of bugs me a little bit is that with donnie's death does gretchen ever get to to is gretchen ever reminded that the world is a beautiful place like she she wants to kiss donnie but she doesn't want to do it until the right time she doesn't want to do it until it reminds her that the world is great. She never gets that kiss from Donnie. Like, is Gretchen's life better because Donnie's gone? She gets to live, I suppose. Maybe that's what I should be leaning on. She doesn't die. <laughs> Everything's fine. But, like, her mom definitely still runs off at some point and leaves her alone. Oh, see, I disagree. You, why do you think her mom ran away, then? I 
I think that, that the time is already changing, and so she hasn't moved there yet, and she hasn't, like... Like, I just think her mom, like... But she's in the end of the movie. Gretchen's in the end of the movie. No, I know. I think there's an... She has... I, I just think it's an impossible thing. I think her mom hasn't moved there yet. And when she's like, my mom is gone. Like, she went home and the house was empty because they hadn't moved there yet. That's what I think. That's wild. Nothing else in the movie changes because of that. Oh, um, one last question. Why does he have to flood the school? To get the teacher fired. Oh, I guess that's true. Because You're it was right. an act that was in the book. I, I, honestly, I asked that question. I was like, well, if he floods the school, there's an investigation, and they start pointing fingers, and then there's the PTA meeting, and then Drew Barrymore gets blamed. Okay, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know how, like, why is it Frank that's coming back and getting Donnie to continue these things? Like, That's an interesting because, question. Because when we see Frank as just another teenager, like, he's not this insightful, all-knowing thing. He's just this... Um, third party who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe everybody in his family's done that. Maybe his father was the person who died and went back and talked to that other kid that Donnie's parents uh, said was doomed and died on his way to prom. Because Frank's, Frank is the name of his father and his father before him. It's legacy. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, like direct-to-video sequel? No, um, I've, never, I've never seen it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I know it exists. I haven't either. I saw it when I was Googling uh, this movie for Isn't it crazy? Ratings like, why? S. Darkle. I'm assuming it's the younger, like, Sparkle Motion sister. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. We should watch it one day. Now's the time. Yeah. We should watch it now. Now that we're, like, so aware and, and like, into Donnie Darko, we should do it. So what's your rating? Oh. Now that you've finally given this movie a proper, fair shot. Um, I'm going to give it a... Three and a half out of four. I I also want to give it a three and a half out of four, but I almost feel like in in spirit of the time travel film and and dealing with the past, I'm going to honor how teenage me felt about it, <laughs> and I'm going to give it a four out of four. I'm going to reach from the past into the future and, uh, and influence how things are happening right now. Do you have any answers for Frank? Like, why Fuck Frank? no. Oh. <laughs> Not at all. Okay. I mean, I th- I also just think that, like, Frank's death is so traumatic for him, and it's so devastating that, like, that ripples out and affects things, like, um... Because I don't think the Frank the Bunny that Donnie sees is actually Frank. You don't think so? No. You don't think that it's his death was so... So in in the same way that like a ghost can and be the horribly voice murdered. Is different. Like I just well, the don't voice think is different Frank. because I think it's coming from an alternate dimension. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 also death. It should be a little creepy. What's what's interesting about like the the scares in this movie kind of come from Donnie's not knowing. Like the unknown is what's terrifying. Which I mean, 2000- and the visual of Frank is terrifying. Well, yeah, the visual of Frank is terrifying as well. But like as Donnie starts to understand what's going on, things become less and less scary. Like there is definitely still that anxiety and that fear that he has to sort of approach the unknown, but he seems okay with it. Um, so it becomes less scary. But up until then, Frank is very horrifying to I look don't know. at. I think I think okay in the same way that like Japanese horror, like The Grudge, you know, something horrible can happen and that that building is cursed or just like a regular ghost story. Like an imprint or something. Yeah, exactly. Like that 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 moment was so impactful and strong that a piece of it remained in the ether. All right, and, fine. Okay. <laughs> We've solved it. <laughs> I just thought that maybe the universe had had chosen that visual cue because oh, it would saying. be a jarring recognition for when when Donnie met that that moment again he would be able to recognize 
like that is almost like a sticky note on that moment. Like using Frank to convey um, all of the tasks that need to be done to get him back to that moment to reset the universe. It's almost like God came to him as Frank. No, and I'm using yeah, yeah, God yeah. loosely, like the universe God, whatever it is sure. yeah. that is correcting the universe, chose the physical manifestation of Frank. Because the Frank that we see visiting Donnie looks more like a conjuring of a mental illness than the actual Frank that we meet. That might even just be it. It's the sheer fact that we need somebody in a Halloween costume because it seems so odd and weird until we get to Halloween and now it makes sense, Mm -hmm. which is true about the rest of the movie. Like, oh, this seems vague and odd and I'm not getting a lot of answers here. And then all of a sudden the picture slowly comes more and more into focus and it it becomes clear and makes sense. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, being a person who loves Halloween... When the movie, I'm fine with it. <laughs> well, when the movie said October 2nd, 1988, and he's like, the world's going to end in 28 days. I was like, the world's going to end on Halloween? That's fucked. <laughs> like, immediately, I was like, oh, Halloween, great. No, the 30th, day before Halloween. Whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to end at a Halloween party. True that. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide-open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. All right, let's move on. Let's talk. I lost the name of the other movie. The Butterfly Effect. Let's move on. (laughs) Let's talk about Ashton Kutcher and the Butterfly Effect. From 2004. Remember when we were kids and I used to have those blackouts? Well, some of those memories have been coming back to me. There are moments in life we choose to remember. Do you think that we'll be together forever? (laughs) And some memories... ...we can never forget. All I know is that by reading these journals, I might be able to get Kaylee back. I'd think twice about what you're doing. You could wake up a lot more messed up than you are now. I haven't seen myself like this before. But what if you could go back in time? You are completely relaxed. Think of it like a movie. You can pause, rewind, or slow down. Could you save the one person that mattered the most? You. Incredible. I lost you once and I'm not losing you again. Evan, you never lost me. What are you talking about? You got nice life. You stay away from us. What about Kaylee? Is she alright? If I go back to the beginning, I might be able to save her. Just tell me if you see anything weird. Weirder than this. The Butterfly Effect from 2004, currently sitting at a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd, and a 2.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I gotta say... Didn't everybody love this movie more when it came out, though? I thought 
this was a good movie. <laughs> Putting it on the um, podcast docket, like I remember it being a pretty okay movie, so, if not a guilty pleasure. So what you're telling me is that when you wrote Johnny Darko vs. Butterfly Effect, I, thought it I was... said, I'm sure, and I said, I'm sure we could come up with a better movie than the Butterfly Effect. You now realize you're wrong for shutting me down. Uh, I just didn't realize that the second half of this episode was going to be an ironic half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Holy fuck, guys. This movie, uh, I don't want to say it doesn't hold up. I just, I am looking at it, it with a new, a new, uh, new lens of appreciation. I can't even say that you watched it with like, ooh, young teenage eyes because Roger Ebert liked it. He was like, <laughs> you know, not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Oh, boy. So... Yeah, I can't say that there's anything I forgot about this movie. Not but just at all. Seeing it, it's it's just fucking bonkers. It is preposterous. By the way, so much of this movie is built on you having seen the marketing for the movie. Think about that. Because, the, oh, we watched the trailer. We saw that trailer a thousand times. We saw the poster. Aston Kutcher's in it. Of course we know what this movie's about. Because the first 40 minutes of this movie kind of unbearable i shouldn't say what are you even saying here they don't have any connective tissue we go from one scene to another where he has a blackout and we don't see what's happening for far too long far too long we should at least have one that mailbox scene where oh something bad happened but we don't see what it is that should be like the only scene and then as he grows to adulthood we need to figure out what happened and why his memory blocked those things out. We go from, like, blackout to blackout to blackout too much at the beginning. We see all of the scenes that we're going to return to, and it takes an eternity. (laughs) An eternity! See, I was too busy being like, oh, wow, we're really... Putting a lot on these young actors, and this was before. They put a lot. On this is before actors. we even went back and had the actors portraying adult Ashton Kutcher. It's insane. Um, yeah. So I'm just gonna say out at the gate, this movie is great in theory. It would be way better as a novel because you can suspend your disbelief at the uh, the limitations and abilities of child actors uh, portraying adult men who have a rage boner. You know, for a movie that is trying rage boner. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, for a movie that is trying to fictionalize the butterfly effect, is it really so surprising that it should be good in theory? The movie? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm getting at. Like, the movie's good in theory. It's based on the chaos theory. I don't... I think... Uh, I think we hit the bullseye on this one. I don't think it's supposed to be good. Nailed in, it! In fact, you know? And the people that made this movie wrote... Uh, uh, Final Destination 2. There are the people behind the Final Destination. Like, they're, they've done some other stuff. We know chaos theory. Yeah, oh boy, <laughs> do we know it. We're going to give you a different kind of Room Goldberg machine here, boy. Oh boy. Um. Yeah, so this, this film follows... Let me just rotate my <laughs> character sheet. Uh, oh, that's the devil's advocate. This film... Yeah, did you guys like that one? <laughs> <laughs> this film follows Evan, who has this strange... Um, condition in which he blacks out seems to have inherited it from his father and in an effort to kind of retain or uh rebuild those memories he keeps a journal it doesn't really come into play until he's of college age where he realizes that 
going through these old journals, he's able to return to these memories, but only the ones that aren't complete. And in doing so, he relives the lives of him and his four friends, Kaylee, her brother, and then Lenny. And every time he tries to correct the memory to be, you know, more up and up and less rapey or <laughs> less murdery or less assaulty, then um, the future that he floats on back to is changed drastically. Yeah, it's like a happy death day that everybody else also is affected by. Mm-hmm. Um, At least the, the lives of these four main people and his mom. That's true. I'm sure the entire world is affected uh, because you never know the ripple effects of your own decisions. Um, he spends so much of his life blacking out because not only does he black out in these moments where like, maybe his mind is repressing a, a dark memory, he also blacks out while writing journals. <laughs> because his like the only reason he's able to go back is because in those journals he's reading what happened in those moments and that's what snaps him back to it cuz he you know like for for example he's over at uh at Kaylee and Evan's house and Eric Stoltz is like yeah we're playing Robin Hood we're making a movie flash we're in the basement but in the journal he's he's describing what happens beat by beat from the backyard down to the basement until he wakes up there right mm. um, so he's he, <laughs> it's so great that he remembers journaling and is a big journaler but doesn't remember all of the important parts of his journaling experience the weird thing is when he ends up bringing a girl back to his room at one point and she's like read she from finds, your journal she finds his journals and she's like read a little bit and he's like I can't get over the stench of the charred dead body <laughs> he's like I don't know if this is someone I should read no keep going yeah softer to yeah whisper it to me and then he passes out and relives that experience and she's like hey where'd you go where you gone for a minute you gotta keep reading the journal you fall asleep on me bitch he passed out go home (laughs) his nose is bleeding yeah like why do you still want to continue with the rest of the evening yeah and so once kind of uh once ashton has were you gonna say keanu reeves i was (laughs) I was gonna, because I'm still thinking about the devil's advocate. Once Ashton Kutcher goes back and kind of fucks things up, he is compelled to go back because he just wants everybody's lives to be okay. Because everybody's kind of altered from these few main experiences that they had when they were children, um, to the point that it really messed them up as adults. So uh, Kaylee is stuck at the hometown. She obviously has a lot of baggage. When Ashton Kutcher goes back to his hometown to kind of, like, confront her about what happened or to find out what happened between them as kids, she actually commits suicide. So the first reason he goes back is because he wants to undo that. Yeah. Um, But her brother is basically, like, a homicidal maniac. And then their other friend, Lenny, is really regressed and kind of really internalized. And he's stuck with his plane models in his parents attic basically yeah he's trying to find a way to fix one or more key dark moments of his childhood to ensure that everybody has a proper adulthood because like because of the 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 poor decisions they made uh kaylee is usually like used and abused her brother is like a, a homicidal maniac and lenny is just catatonic like no matter what he does it's always some variation of that you know, occasionally he'll make one small change that makes things better for one of them, but the other two are, are still pretty rough, so he keeps going back, and each time it's 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 damaging him more and more mentally. 
At least that's what they say because it's never a problem. Like, oh man, you've got oh you got so much scar tissue in your brain, you're hemorrhaging, but it's cool. You can go home, no big deal. Like, that's kind of the same thing in Happy Death Day, though. They're like, you, oh, yeah, yeah, you've yeah, been yeah. dead so many times. And it's just like, I guess we are should... gonna make a sequel, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you're just good to go on to Biology 101. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, as noble as that is. On service level, as noble as that is, he has no understanding or interest in the repercussions on on the universe as a whole from these changes. It's just the lives of these four people plus his mom. Oh, yeah. And at one point, he he gets everybody's lives pretty fucking great. Except for his. Except for his, yeah. <laughs> because, so he goes back to a memory in which they put a, um, like a bottle rocket in... It's like a stick of fucking dynamite. A stick of dynamite in some woman's mailbox, and she goes to it with her baby, and obviously they get killed, I assume? I th- I think they're supposed to be dead, yeah. So in the memory, he goes back, and he tries to stop her, but he gets blown up. He loses his arms in probably the worst portrayal. <laughs> oh, the most hilarious portrayal, but so insensitive of a disabled person, mainly for the comedic timing of all of <laughs> the close-up shots on how terrible the prosthetic hands are that they use. Like, they they are cruel. So cruel. Like, they have him trying to grab, like, a granola bar, and the hand <laughs> is like, tap, tap. Oh, it's like... It happens like three or four times and you're like, you guys are being so cruel. And he, when he falls out of his fucking wheelchair. And I think like, he throws himself out of his wheelchair because oh he doesn't want to go anywhere. Yeah, he wants to go back to the room. <laughs> and they're like, um, your lives are all must be so perfect. <laughs> and he can't hack it, so he tries to kill himself. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> What's great about that too is when he realizes like, oh my God, I didn't have arms. I didn't journal. <laughs> like that's, oh, that's a good moment. <laughs> But yeah, like in this universe, every everybody's lives are better, um, you know. Except he's lost his arms. Like that's the uh, like that's the only problem with him, and also his his mom. At the end has of that cancer, yeah. of that universe, he finds out his mom has cancer, which is is solely to give him permission to go back and yeah. fuck up these lives he can't for just, these other he characters. He can't just go back because he's missing some arms. But he is such a dink once his arms are missing. Like he yeah. fully, even though he has all of the knowledge and awareness of all these previous universes, he is fully into this sulky role as like the guy without arms. And he's even more so because he knows a world in which he has arms. He has Kaylee. And he's so butthurt that Lenny, who's normally catatonic, has Kaylee that he tries to fuck it up for them the second he gets oh, into that universe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. I love you so Nobody much No could though. have you but me. Which is not very selfless. And this whole thing is under the guise of him being selfless. Yeah, there is no better universe that uh, that he has gone into than that one right there. Like, everything else has been horrible. In one, everything seems cool, but the brother is more homicidal than, than ever before. So much so that Ashton Kutcher has to defend himself and ends up murdering him. And then we spend... A bunch of time in prison. Like, there is a huge chunk Why of Why do we go act. to prison? So much prison in this. It's where, that, it's where it's the be- prison sequence happens that the film really, really reminds you how much it wants to cover raping. Yeah, I was gonna say, this movie is very preoccupied with like, oh, and then you get assaulted. Oh, so... There's a lot of prison rape, like a there's lot. There's a lot of, there's just a lot of sexual assault, period, in this but movie. why so much prison rape? It's not just alluded to, like, there. it's alluded to. They come to, into his cell. And then it's more prison rape. Like, and the moment more. he gets in prison, too, they're just like, hey, man, if they come for you, 
you just go somewhere else in your mind. Like, like day one, it's just like, hey, so I'm going to coach you through how to deal with this because it's probably going to happen. And then it happens. And then he's like, hey, guys, so I want to join a gang. Uh, you either got to join a gang or die. So you like, you just, you know, like tell me whose dick I got to suck and I'll join your gang. And then, and then, so like, they're just like, I'm going to, I'm going to trick him with rape. And then, <laughs> and then I'll get to read my journal. I have the rapey upper hands. What if one of those prisoners was able to read his blackout and go into the past and also be there and like really fucks everything up for him. There's a better movie. So like, not only can the he. The rape returns. No, in not. Butterfly effect too. Not the rape return. I'm not trying to say like this guy goes back to like every single one one of his memories and like assaults him as a child multiple where are we going this is getting dark um no i'm trying to say like there's there's got to be a version of this movie where not only can he travel back in time with that journal but everybody who reads it can and so once that journal falls into the hands of the wrong people he's he's unable to to really fix his his present day surroundings because somebody else is fucking up his past even more than oh, he did. Oh, so like the butterfly effect is like butterfly tenfold. That's right. We're talking the power to power of the butter. What's that term? <laughs> Powerfly to the power butterfly effect to the power of ten. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we got it. So much. Okay, so one of the one of the biggest problems of this movie for me is that they seem to think that a child whapping a pedophile's hand and saying no <laughs> no never fixes, again fixes everything forever <laughs> yep right they they definitely imply that eric stoltz well, never also- touches any other person especially his daughter after he says you're a creep what's but- he called fuckwad <laughs> he falls in a fuckwad like twice but also, so d- disregarding that that big speech there, because I do want to talk about it, they interpret every every child group of four lives their 10 to 12 year old years in stand by me proportions. <laughs> like everybody experiences these monumental things. Like not only do these kids murder a mother and their child, oh, a yeah, dog okay. gets killed. And this really underdeveloped father character is like child pornographer of the year. <laughs> That's not an award you want to get. Not an award you want to get. Oh, man. But yeah, so when he goes back to that memory where the dad is making the, like the kitty porn or whatever. Yeah, he just, they have this, 10-year-old actor pretending to be, like, grown-up Ashton Kutcher threatening this... Yeah, hey, man, what you're gonna do has consequences. It's, it's gonna, gonna affect ruin her forever. everybody's life. And he's just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, you're so right. I, like, I'm staring into, like, an after-school special right now, and I'm seeing the mistakes how do you, that I've made. How do you know this? How are you able to do this? Like, it was just some dumb thing he did once and only once. Like, bullshit. This is who this guy is. This guy is not going to stop doing it. It has the same problem that Donnie Darko has, where, like, oh, maybe Jim Cunningham turned his life around. Like, they seem to think that, like, that's, this is just something you can walk away from. Like, no, this is going to be a problem this guy has his entire life, and he should go get help for it. Yeah, because it's not like you act on sexual perversions on a whim. Like, no. He probably had to toil with the fact, like, he had probably late nights being like, should I record my daughter getting raped? Oh, boy. I would also, before we move on too far from from timeline A, talk about how gross Thumper is. Thumper? Thumper is his roommate. Oh, God. Now, Thumper is not gross because he is a very big man. And that is is true. He's huge. Uh, He looks like he's got great taste in music. But he and his girlfriend are disgusting. It's not even a girlfriend. He's just like a ladies' man. He and his lady are disgusting. 
disgusting. Like, they are having gross dorm room sweaty sex. And then she gives him one of Ashton Kutcher's t-shirts to, like, clean up. And it's so disgusting. And then he throws the t-shirt at Ashton Kutcher. And Ashton Kutcher, like, jumps on him. He's like, oh, I'm post-coital. Be nice to me. Like, what is happening here? These are mistakes that should not have been put into the movie. <laughs> yeah, and there's like just a lot of weird sex references. Like, girls that come into the room later just like, it smells like sex in here. And it's like, this is gross. Yeah, something this is pretty This is weird. not college life. This is gross. <laughs> college life is pretty gross, but yeah, this is this is really gross. And I wish it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> That's all I have to say on that. I don't have I don't have anything else to say. I really wish they had have thought twice before filming the Thumper stuff. It's gnarly. Man, I don't have a lot to say about this movie. I'm just realizing we haven't touched on anything, and I'm almost done. Um, Lenny is the most fragile child ever. Can we point <laughs> that out? Like, it doesn't seem like there's anything that could have gone wrong or right that would have fixed Lenny. He, I'm not saying, like, kids need to have tough skins or something, but, like, every traumatic thing just ruins him forever. Meanwhile, everybody else... Uh, at least goes on with their life. Like, maybe they make some poor decisions because of it, but Lenny is locked in himself. My favorite Lenny moment is when Ashton Kutcher goes back to the point where his dog is getting murdered by Kaylee's brother, and he's trying to prevent it so that before they get to the clearing where um, the dog is tied up, he gives Lenny, like, a shard of metal. Yeah. And he's like, use this. If anything goes wrong, you use it. I think he's trying, like, in his mind, I think he's like, cut the bag open. Like, why didn't he say that? If we go over there, my dog's tied up in a burlap sack. Please use this to cut the burlap sack open. Yeah, and because in the original memory, part of the trouble with uh, Lenny is because he couldn't get the bag open and the dog got burned because Kaylee got knocked out and Evan got knocked out. So it was just... Everybody got knocked out. It was just Lenny. But then in this research, or in this... When we go back to the universe, Ashton Kutcher saves the day, basically, and knocks everybody out. But then Lenny just fucking stabs the brother, even though everything is, like, seen as under control. Dog is free. Yep. And, and then uh, I think that when he goes back, like, everything in in the timeline is the same, except, like, his room has been switched. Like, it's, like, all of the stuff on his room is on, like, the left side of the room and Thumper's on the right side now. <laughs> other than the fact that Lenny is, well... Lenny is like a comatose. comatose. Yeah, he's in the hospital. And he's, he's like, like you, you knew what was going to happen when you gave me that shard, didn't you? This is all your fault. You should be here, not me. It's like, you murdered. You had complete liberty. We were ready to go home, pack up, bring the dog. Yeah. And you just murdered our friend. Oh, well, that's on you, Lenny. Just say it. Just like, I know you're in Ashton Kutcher's universe, but you have free will. You know, this this movie was made in Ashton Kutcher's universe. There was a time where we all said, ooh, Ashton Kutcher, gotta see that movie. I like Ashton Kutcher in I this. like Ashton Kutcher too, but... Like, in this, I like him. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's um, endearing. I think he's... <laughs> Like, I, be- I believe him as the nice guy. I also fucking love when he's, uh, when he goes back to that, like, college frat boy universe. And, oh, and he's uh, basically- He's like- got, like, that yellow fucking <laughs> windbreaker on and, like, the hat. And it's just like, oh, boy. That was a time period. Oh, my. Yeah, that These was a time period. These are the cool kids. <laughs> 
The movie gets bored, though, I think. Like, the movie gets... The movie's not sure what to do it's with It's because some of the... it's run out of rape opportunities. I guess so, because they're like, oh, okay, so what are we gonna do? Uh, he's gonna read the journal, and he's gonna go back in time, and he's gonna be in his kitchen, and mm, there's nobody around for him to rape. Uh, nobody around to rape him, so I, I guess he just gets a knife, and then... Uh, he doesn't know what else to do. Like, and that's it. He gets a knife. He's like, oh, what am I gonna do with this? And then he's back. Oh, I guess that was no good. And then that's kind oh. of fun though, because it means like some of the loops were self closing because he like there was nothing to do. Yeah. And also, like when he goes back to see his dad, like I guess we don't get any extra info from dad that we didn't already have. He's like, I gotta figure out how to fix this. He's like, he's like you, you can't, can't fix this. <laughs> you gotta end it. And so he tries to kill his own son, which we, we get at the beginning of the movie. There's a few other ones. Okay, so just... let's talk about the alternate endings. Let's talk about all of the endings of this fucking movie. Okay. Now, <laughs> you didn't remember any of the alternate endings, right? No, I, I don't think I'd seen them. Oh, this is really upsetting, guys. So I we watched the director's cut. Unbeknownst to me, we put on the director's cut, and which really upset me. Because I remembered what the director's cut was. And I was so looking forward to We should have just called this episode Director's Cut. We should have! I mean, like, there are a lot of comparisons between these two movies that were beyond our control. Like, we watched both the Director's Cuts. We watched two movies that don't understand uh, child predators. We... <laughs> so, loose interpretations of what time travel can, should be, and does. Uh, it, first off, it doesn't exist. The but... only way to stop a time t- child predator is time travel. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's no other <laughs> That's way. That's the moral message of these movies. You gotta live through it, unfortunately, and then you get to go back and hurt them, um, or threaten them with your ten-year-old never... vocabulary. Yeah, you never get to actually see them prosecuted because that's the other thing. Like, regardless, I'm sorry to jump back to Donnie Darko for a quick second. Regardless of whether or not Jim Cunningham sees the error of his ways and burns his own child pornography mountain down, uh, he still never gets charged and brought to court. There's no justice for all the crimes that he's committed prior. Anyway. um, He might turn himself in, though. I don't know. That guy looks like he wouldn't. He give looks pretty up. tortured at the end of that movie. Okay, well, that's one universe. And isn't that what you want of. Isn't that the whole point of punishing people who've done crimes? Is so that they feel the weight of those crimes every day of their life that they are in prison? And also, like, so we can, um, for some of them that aren't there forever can be reassimilated back into society. And, well, there's there's also something to be said about justice for victims, but um, the, the the alternate endings of Butterfly Effect <laughs> to bring us back. I really I really wish that we had to watch the theatrical version of this movie because I wanted to break out the director's cut ending to Kim live on the podcast. If you guys have not seen the director's cut, all of, this of movie, the endings are on YouTube. They are all they are all on YouTube, and they are all pretty much exactly the same except for one. Oh, except for one. Theatrical ending, though. Let's start with that. Theatrical ending. Um, Ashton Kutcher goes back in time, and he tells... uh, He he finds out that this girl, when her parents split up, chose to live with her dad, even though she knew he was a creep and an asshole, because she really loved Ashton Kutcher. So what he does now is he goes back in time to, like, his seventh birthday, and he finds her, and he goes, I hate you, and I think you're stupid, and if you ever talk to me again, I'm gonna kill you and your whole family. So she doesn't like him anymore, so that way when her parents split up, she goes to live with her mom, and everything's OBKB. Like, she lives a normal life. Her and her brother. Her and her brother live a normal life. They are well-adjusted kids. Lenny uh, still has a fascination with model airplanes, but grows up 
untouched by darkness. <laughs> uh, and everything's cool. And uh, it's, uh, Ashton Kutcher's a psychology major now, and we're going to burn the journals. <laughs> and uh, Kaylee gets married to some guy. <laughs> no, 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 no. In the theatrical ending, neither of them are married. He's like, it's like flash forward oh, six right. years. I'm a psychiatrist now and I'm still having dinner with my mom. Like, <laughs> I don't know, mom, maybe get the salad or the soup or something. And then he sees- Time to walk this corporate street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the Matrix. Oh man, like any movie that ends in just like New York City sidewalk, he, he sees Kaylee and, and- She's also business casual. And she also sees him, but they don't look at each other. And they, they both just walk off into the, their lives. Unknown, the, the connection they could have, should have, would have, kind of did have. Aw. So sad. But then there's like eight variations of that. Oh, boy. One of them, they also, we make com- a date for coffee. Yeah. Another one, he just, turns he just follows her. her, which I kind of like. I it's like a little ending. creepy, but I like it. I mean, it. it seems a little creepy, but it's just like, oh, we're going to, we're, we're, we're on gonna another journey. Yeah, exactly. Naturally. Now, before we get to that the director's cut ending, I will say we break a lot of rules at the end of this movie um, because we really, I guess, I would assume that the journals were the only way for him to travel back in time. Oh, no. And and his dad, it seems, the only way for him to travel back in time was photographs. Yeah, because he had an album. Yeah, Sorry, had, I yawned. That's okay. <laughs> he, had a, he had a photo album um, that, you know, like, oh, I wonder what these are. It's dad's stuff. Gross. Um, but yeah, like we, we come to realize that's how he was able to travel back in time. And when Ashton Kutcher is locked up in the mental institution, uh, he remembers. He, here's the thing, though. He, he remembers a blackout. Yeah, he doesn't have the journals, but he remembers a blackout that he had. So he's just watching a, fa- a home video version of a birthday on a reel-to-reel machine. Because, so, but at one point when he's, like, locked up in the hospital, he's like, bring those home videos that I like. I really like to watch them. <laughs> She's like, I'm bringing them. <laughs> but they don't give them to him. They're locked up in, like, the, the doctor's office. Oh, my God. When he's running through the medical office is my favorite moment in the whole film because he's, like, trying to... Um, it's like he's trying to duck but run at the same time. <laughs> he's like Wiley Coyote. Yeah, I was going to say he's, like, a uh, fucking... That's the car- the cartoon. He's a Looney Tune. Yeah, that's the cartoon I was literally going to say. My brain didn't work. That's okay. Or like the Grinch when he's sneaking around yes. at night. Yes, oh no, no, you're like, right. He's do, exactly do, 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 do. like the Grinch. <laughs> he's got his knees bent and his, his like shoulders hunched and he's just like trying to skulk around but like go fast. It's so fucking comical though. It is pretty hilarious. It does not fit in this entire movie. Nope. But so he figures out that he Keep can Keep in mind, lots of rape. <laughs> back in time through this home video which is what brings him to the birthday party in the director's cut version though we go back in time we go all the way all the way back in time to when his mother is is in labor at the hospital and he jumps in to where he was as a baby inside her womb it's so long too like they filmed so many extra scenes for this ending it is preposterous it's insane this was back at a time where we wanted people wanted like eight alternate endings oh my god it's nuts so infant ashton kutcher now and we should we should preface his mother did say that she had two or three other kids and they all were stillborn babies they they were they all uh did not make it because Um, they knew they lived you think that's all of his brothers 
Because da- they all inherited it from dad, and they all had to just kill themselves because they were tortured by time travel. Surprise, surprise, Ashton Kutcher, as a baby, an unborn baby, wraps the umbilical cord around <laughs> his neck. And you see it on the ultrasound. There's like, he's hanging himself in there. Like, <laughs> they can't get him out. And they're like, it's almost like he wants to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's just like a super sad ending. And then we watch... We watch the, the, the alternate lives of Katie and her brother and Lenny and how they all grew up to have an awesome life and marry and be happy. And and they film all these extra scenes without Ashton Kutcher. Yep, yep. Unaffected by the cancer that is Ashton Kutcher's character. Oh, my God. It's Just a the fact wild that ending. Th- they filmed a baby committing suicide. Yeah. And is... nobody was like, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> like, this movie has it all. Like, it has... So it has child pornography, it has prison gang rape, it has uh, a baby committing suicide. Like It has kids killing dogs, it yeah. has kids killing kids, like, it has kids killing other people's babies. And I'm sure we're still going to get people saying, like, well, I don't know why they're co- covering bu- Butterfly Effect on the podcast, that's not a horror movie. Like, like this, I don't know. Are you kidding me? This, <laughs> this shit has some stuff that I wouldn't have even seen in a grindhouse movie from the 80s. That baby wrapped the umbilical cord around its own neck. <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, you think all of her, all of her, uh, oh all of them. all of his brothers they or sisters all, or whatever. Yeah. I yeah. love that they all came to the same conclusion. Like, oh, there's only one thing we can do: ruin mom's life. <laughs> That's... Can I say that poor mom was a terrible actress? And the you know the poor children, like they were doing their best. But this is why I'm saying it would have been better as a book because you cannot give child actors that much wait in the screenplay like they had to do some crazy ass shit like confronting pedophiles and being serial killers and all that stuff like these are these are like eight-year-olds and 12-year-olds this could have been the greatest choose your own adventure book ever yeah right that could be a really cool choose choose your your own own butterfly effect yeah i'm down with that i would read it before we get to ratings real quick side note speaking of how this would be a better book if you guys are interested in time travel type stuff... Oh, my. ...and you're looking for a book to read, there is an incredible book that Kim bought me for Christmas one year that I knew nothing about, and it, it has changed my life. I love it. I've read it a few times, and it's just... It's brilliant. It's, it's by uh, Martin Amis, A-I-A-M-I-S. Uh, it's called Time's Arrow. It is fucking brilliant. It is a person's entire life told backwards. I don't really want to give too much away, but in the opening sequences, it's like the his consciousness is the narrator, and the consciousness is seeing that things are going backwards and people are talking backwards, and it doesn't quite understand what people are saying or doing, and then it kind of like locks in and then just narrates this person's life scene backward, and it is absolutely brilliant, and you have to check it out. If you've read it or, you're, or you do read it because of my recommendation, please let us know what you think about it on Twitter. Tangent over. Kim. Okay. What's your rating of the butterfly effect? Oh my god. This is impossible. Wait, 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 wait. Pick an ending. I want you to pick an ending and then I want you to rate... Oh, umbilical cord Okay, good. And then I want you to rate the movie on that ending. Uh, yeah. So it's... This movie's terrible. It's awful. It's bad. It's... It does not hold up. Cool idea, though. But, yeah, it's... An interesting premise. Has that early, mid-2000s contrast level. Yeah. And, uh, it's... Extremely watchable, even For though being so bad. <laughs> uh, we had to take a break halfway through because I couldn't 
uh, I couldn't handle it at one point. I was just it like, was... I need a moment away from this movie. You'd be surprised. And by a moment, I meant like an eight hour sleep. <laughs> I had to go to bed. I was just like, I can't finish this movie right now. <laughs> because it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. But when something is bonkers, that means it's ambitious. And, oh, yeah. No, this movie's ambitious as hell. Uh, I cannot believe that they they fit in all of this shit. Like, I do not know how they got all of these things in this movie, how they got past censors, how they how they did it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because this was, I mean, at least in Canada, it was a 14A movie. I saw this when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's got some, it's got some shit. It's probably rated R in the States. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, I want to give it a one and a half out of four, but is that way too low for how much I'm smiling right now? <laughs> Uh, I'm giving it a one out of four. Okay. One out of four. Oh my god. Okay, so one and a half out of four. Oh my god. <laughs> Are you also rating the umbilical cord ending? Hell yeah. That's the best <laughs> ending they shot. Oh, fuck. Oh my. It's so weird. What a And also, it is, it is the ending that the whole movie is leading toward, right? Like, you have to kill yourself. You can't do this. All of my kids died. Like, that is most definitely the ending that they wrote initially. I yeah. guarantee it. So, like, for me, that is the true ending of this movie. And honestly, uh, I do think it's a good ending. It's wild. It's weird. It's, it's nuts. But it fits the story. And uh, I, think it, I think it works. Uh, I think this movie is good. Uh, I like it. But it is a one out of four from me. Yeah, it's... I, if you uh, haven't seen it in a long time, I highly recommend revisiting it. Oh, oh man. boy. Dude, I remember this movie with rose-colored glasses. Holy shit. It's the same movie. Like, I was not surprised watching it, but I was just like, what the fuck is this? Oh, yeah. It was it was a what-the-fuck era for, for horror and thriller filmmaking. Oh, my. I kind of want to revisit the Mothman prophecies now. No. <laughs> because no, I feel like no, 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 I no, was no. originally pushing for the Mothman prophecies with the butterfly effect. I'm gonna tell you right now, you like the Mothman prophecies because growing up as a girl uh, with a mother who, like most other mothers, liked Richard Gere, you watched Pretty Woman and you watched Runaway Bride and you watched uh, Officer and Gentleman or whatever. Like you watched so many Richard Gere movies that you maybe didn't like, except Pretty Woman, obviously. It's a classic. And then, <laughs> and then the uh, horror with this man came along, and you were like, "Yes, please, I would love." this change of pace the mothman prophecies is not a good movie but is it i don't know i haven't seen it since so i was maybe like we should revisit it i don't want to <laughs> i really don't want to i don't remember liking anything about it oh my really really don't want to don't make me do that <laughs> oh, fuck. okay so you guys have to tweet at us what you thought about the butterfly effect because i really want to know your opinions and you know what go and ahead and tweet us your opinions of the mothman prophecies maybe we'll fit it in the schedule <laughs> somewhere if there's enough of a demand we'll do it and i also want to know your donnie darko theories how you think frank plays into it how you think the universe and the the, the whole time travel loop uh what you think Charita's role in the film is yeah, uh, yeah. we want to know what you thought about these two movies because they they bring a lot of stuff and theories to the table and there's not stuff that we could cover in just one episode no, so not for two dummies like us <laughs> so tweeted us at nofs podcast you can find us in the facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of nofs we are controlling transmission This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by David Nora's Slasher Crasher. It's Mean Girls meets Halloween. It's Halloween. 
Nick Rosh, a towering figure of evil and stupidity, escapes from the upstate New York mental hospital he's been committed to for the past five years. Planning return to his childhood home where he brutally murdered his babysitter's boyfriend, his plans are halted when he crossed paths with an even more terrifying beast. Two high school friends with some serious beef. Caught in a battle of loyalty that's been brewing for ten years of their friendship, the two girls Kathleen Strife and Betsy Coleman force their feud into a savage showdown, pitting the escape monster against each other. Who will survive this epic deathmatch? And is it totally wrong to fall in love with the murderous lunatic who just tried to kill your ex-best friend with a machete? Slasher Crasher is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and BlackRoseWriting.com. Also, fun fact, if you send a proof of your purchase and a screenshot of the purchase confirmation to david.nora.junior at gmail.com, he's going to send you a free digital thank you and, uh, and an original artwork of your choice, either the final girl gone bad, the final bitch, or the final gay. That's slashercrasher at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, and blackrosewriting.com. Coming October 17th from Pocket Universe Productions, one of the most legendary names in horror comics, EC, is coming to audio. EC Comics Presents The Vault of Horror is a full-cast audio drama adapting 24 stories from the Vault Keeper's Tome of Terrifying Tales. Starring Kevin Graveau, creator of the Underworld movie franchise as The Vault Keeper, with guests Denise Poyer of MTV's Aeon Flux and Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater, and a 60-actor cast, the Vault of Horror features a soundscape that draws you right into the action like never before. Visit PocketUniverseProductions.com starting Monday, October 14th to learn more, boils and ghouls. That's EC Comics Presents The Vault of Horror at PocketUniverseProductions.com. We're going to stick around for a few more minutes and play a game that Kim has put together this week uh, in tandem with our teen angst time travelers. It's about time travel. It's very subjective. Uh, <laughs> and therefore concrete enough for me to quiz John on. <laughs> yep. Okay. Sounds like this is tailored for me to lose. Uh, I'm excited. As are most of my games. Oddly enough, mine are the same. Why do we hate each other so much when it comes to trivia? We're like, oh, I'm going to make this fucker lose. I'm going <laughs> to embarrass them in front of everybody. It's, it's a sign of true love, John. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> okay. Well, you can get that declaration of our love over at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street, as well as hundreds of hours of other bonus content, including mini games that we record for each and every episode and full drive home from the drive-in reviews of big movies at the theater each month. Head over to patreon.com right now and support the show for as little as a coffee a month. We'll be back at you again in two Thursdays from now with another full-length episode. We also release mini-sodes every other Thursday that we don't have a full-length episode to give you a taste of what films we will be talking about so you can watch them beforehand. We also talk about horror news and the like, so make sure you're subscribed to Nightmare on Film Street to ensure you're first to get them in your feed. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all those podcast apps, And while you're there, if you can take a quick second to leave a five-star rating review, it's a free way to support the show and uh, help us climb the charts and get more ears and more eyes on Nightmare on Film Street because we are independent. It is John and I and our team of contributors on the website, which you should check out, nofspodcast.com, for tons of writing and articles and really great opinions and reviews and stuff. Uh, But I've gone on too long, so we will catch you next time. I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough 
to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Now! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.